technology shapes and influences every aspect of our lives today, and we're only beginning to scratch the surface of understanding how it will radically change the way we live and work in the future. Coming up... This is the moment when we as humans are saying, you know what, the digital world has validity to it. I can actually stand in a game as an avatar and marry somebody and have that actually count back in the real world. And for us to kind of expand our understanding of what counts, of what's real, to extend that understanding to the digital sphere as well as the 3D around me sphere, that's a really, really important mental leap and social leap you're listening to the Future Rhythmic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth, a Nokia original series. Are we living in the upside down? sure feels like it. Most of the world continues to battle COVID-19 and the real world feels like a dream and the virtual world our reality. Nokia's Leslie Shannon sees all this clearly. As its chief storyteller, she's discovered we're not waiting for the boss to figure out which digital tools to use to keep our corporate world on track. Employees are turning to video games. Yes, and in fact, what's What's fascinating is that this is actually, I think, the beginning of a shift, taking activities that happen in the real world and moving them into a digital world. And and this is the kind of thing we've been talking about for a long time, but now it's really happening. And it's really happening at a grassroots level, being led by ordinary people simply because they need to solve a problem that has been thrown in their path by the whole lockdown pandemic. Ah, I can't do what I need to do in person. So what can I do in another creative way? And what's fascinating to me when it comes to the world of technology generally is that we often find ourselves in a scenario where tools get built for one particular purpose, but then the user takes those tools and applies them in ways that the builder of that tool could never have predicted in the first place. And that's extending into the types of non-traditional technologies that you're talking about? Yes, exactly. And and really, a lot of the best examples that are coming right now are coming from people leveraging gaming platforms and taking real-world, real-life activities and moving them into gaming platforms and sharing them with other people in there. And when you think about it, this actually makes a lot of sense. Gaming, whether you're talking about PC gaming or even better, virtual reality gaming, these are immersive universes that have already been created and that if people have played the game, they've already spent a lot of time in the universe and quite often they're very comfortable there. It's it's a really fine alternative reality like the VR game Moss, which I highly recommend for anyone, by the way, anyone who's just getting into VR. Uh, Moss is an absolutely beautiful, wonderful game. In Moss, you're 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 working very closely with a, an adorable little mouse, and 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 solving problems and and beating the bad guys and and finally solving the whole thing. Well, Moss as a game only takes a few hours to play through, and I found that when it was done, I just wanted to stay in this beautiful environment of the mossy forest floor, hanging out with my little mousy friend. You know, I didn't want to leave. It's like. I, don't, I, I don't care the game.
game's over. I just want to stay here. <laughs> so this kind of um, creation of magical, mystical, safe places, enchanting places where wonderful things happen, and people are starting to actually take real-life activities and have them in here. And one, one famous example, there is a, um, a British children's book author who famously tweeted out that she started having her editorial meetings with her team in Red Dead Redemption 2. And so they're all, they're all players of the game, and so they've all gotten to a certain point in the game where they can actually meet and sit around the campfire and actually talk about things in the real world in the avatars of their their gameplay. Um, Wait a minute. Do, do you have to start talking like this? <laughs> yeah. Talking to the boss now. <laughs> this whole thing is pretty much done. We're more ghosts than people. She said, you know, well, one of the problems is that uh, uh, the button to sit on the ground, it's the same control as strangling the person next to you. So you really have to be careful, you know, when you sit down <laughs> at the campfire. And so, you know, but the wolves are howling in the distance and, and, um, and every now and then somebody will come and raid you, but that's just like, you know, a coffee break or something. And then you get back to it. It's a so, team building exercise. <laughs> it's a team building <laughs> exercise. And, but that, that was just one of the first examples that I saw. Games that actually emphasize that already have a social aspect to them. So Animal Crossing, of course, that dropped from Nintendo right around oh the same time. God. Yeah, the latest version. I got to tell you, thank God this <laughs> game came out during coronavirus or my 13-year-old would be climbing the walls. <laughs> but help me understand how you take a game that is hugely popular with 13-year-olds and convince the boss that, you know, maybe we should have our virtual meeting in a Nintendo Switch video game. There's an AI researcher who is actually going to be hosting an AI, artificial intelligence conference in Animal Crossing in July. And something like 200 people have already signed up for it. Exactly how this works, I have not got the vaguest idea. <laughs> but <laughs> this is the kind of thing that's happening. And, and, and on, on the private side, one of my friends was online in the middle of the night here, and uh, she ended up getting invited to a wedding, an actual wedding, that was happening in Australia. The couple, you know, they couldn't actually be with any of their guests, and so they were online in Animal Crossing, and they were holding the wedding in Animal Crossing. And their friends invited all kinds of strangers who were online to come into Animal Crossing and to join the wedding. And one of the things in Animal Crossing is that you do give gifts to other people as part of the social environment. And so, so when they, they said, I do, and they kissed the bride, um, suddenly all of these strangers from all over the internet poured in and started giving gifts to the wedding couple. I mean, that's just beautiful. That is just beautiful. And hey, hey, Hang on, wait a minute. The gifts... These were clearly virtual gifts. Yes, virtual gifts of things within Animal Crossing. At the end of the day, you don't have to worry about getting two blenders from two different ants. <laughs> 
Well, you know, if you do get two virtual blenders, you can actually just trade one away pretty easily. <laughs> so with this in mind, we, we always look at the adoption of new technologies and try to extrapolate out what that means five years from now, 10 years from now. I can't imagine that five to 10 years from now, we're still going to be having virtual conferences in Animal Crossing, hopefully not because of COVID-19. But when, when, when the tide goes out on COVID-19, when we look around, how much of this is going to stick? Right. Well, and this is what I meant by by this being a really important moment for digitalization, because one of the things um, about the new immersive technologies that are coming, the augmented realities, the virtual realities, the mixed realities, what they do is they introduce a level of digitization into the real world. And so we start actually mixing the real with the unreal. Why I find these people doing things in games so significant is it's actually showing this is the moment when we as humans are saying, you know what, the digital world has validity to it. I can actually stand in a game as an avatar and marry somebody and have that actually count back in the real world. And for us to kind of expand our understanding of what counts, of what's real, to extend that understanding to the digital sphere as well as the 3D around me sphere, that's a really, really important mental leap and social leap and I think that it would have happened much more slowly without COVID, but necessity being the mother of invention, we're actually, because we don't have those social connections in person, we're, we're moving those social connections into these digital areas, and I think that's going to stick. Well, I was fascinated to see, you know, never mind weddings, that the sports world was getting into the virtual and online arenas. Again, they have the same problem. You can't do this face to face. So they've had some interesting examples of taking things online. Um, the, uh, the, the, the Tour of Flanders um, professional cycling event, they had to cancel that. It was in March or April. And so they actually worked with an actual existing gaming application. Um, and then they invited 13 of the, uh, the, the cyclists who would have been in the original race. They invited them to actually get on a stationary bike at home and to fight each other out in this app. And so they ran the last, so 30 kilometers of the, um, uh, of the race with these, you know, the, the cyclists each at home and with a camera on them at home and, and professional commentators. And here they are duking it out in the game. It was fantastic. It's really gripping. <laughs> so especially because you can see when you do it this way, you can see the, the sport, the, um, the athletes up close in a way that you can't when you're actually watching a live event when they're really on a road bike. It's like NASCAR on two wheels. They actually did the same thing. They took a game, an existing car racing game, and then did an invitational to professional NASCAR drivers to actually come and compete in these pro invitationals. And then they televised these with professional broadcasters and so on. Welcome to the virtual Homestead Miami Speedway for the NASCAR Pro Invitational iRacing Series opener. It's a beautiful day in South Florida. The grandstand is packed with virtual fans. And again, each one of the drivers is actually at a kind of driving station, a gaming station at home. But because they're not actually really racing, they, you know, they've got a camera on the driver and the drivers can talk Welcome as the they're actually 
racing each other. So, so they're they trash talking, talking each, other. each other. Yeah, and and but you're also getting insight into the, what the drivers are thinking. Right. Uh, and and it's a much more deeper strategic view. Hill in third, Briscoe fourth, Smith Lee fifth. Here they come off the corner for the final time. Oh. They all but come together, and the winner is. Hamlin! Wow, what a race. What a finish. Yeah, those fans should be cheering. They saw a heck of a race. That is incredible. All right, let's see uh, if we can get our winner on the line and do our virtual uh, Victory Lane interview, Denny Hamlin. Wow, congratulations. What a fantastic run through the field. Yeah. That was uh, unbelievable. So it's, you know, it's not a direct replacement for an actual live NASCAR race, but in another, it's a different thing, but oh boy, is it satisfying. So, so some really, really great substitutions here um, for the sports world as well, moving into that world of digital and opening up, you know, who knew it could be so satisfying to watch professionals play in, in a real world 3D live sport playing each other on a game platform. Um, I, I think we are going to see a lot of continuity with a lot of this stuff. Well, there was a time when phone chat lines and online dating, th those were the realms of the nerds too afraid to go to a pickup joint. And then the mobile phone came along. <laughs> <laughs> then the mobile phone came along and the convenience factor was substantial enough that the general public started to adopt the concept of online dating. I wonder if it's a similar sort of scenario here where now the general public is starting to see the benefits of these technologies that were generally reserved for your 13-year-old kid or a nerd boy like me who's got a VR headset that we're slowly opening up the rest of the world to the realization that there are alternatives to an in-person scenario. I think you're exactly right there. And in fact, um, one example from, um, from Porsche, in 2018, they released a, um, an augmented reality headset where if I'm a Porsche mechanic and I'm fixing the car here in my Porsche dealership, um, I can actually put on my HoloLens or whatever, whatever, I don't remember which brand it was, but you know, whatever this is. And, and then I can actually connect to an expert who is not with me and they can look through my glasses and they can see what I'm doing and tell me what I should be doing and, and do things like draw on the, you know, draw on their screen, but then I see it, so I know exactly what they're pointing to and all that kind of stuff. And they found back in 2018 by, by using these glasses, uh, mechanics could actually speed up the, the repair time by 40%. Really great, right? Well, it turns out, though, that in practice, the mechanics are like, well, that's a little weird. It's a little complicated. You know, back to what you were just saying about the early days of the, the online dating. Ooh, that's a little geeky. I'm not sure that's for me. But now with COVID, they, the mechanics are alone. There are no experts. You know, nobody's going to be stopping by and saying, hey, you know, have you tried connecting this to that? And so what they found is that the usage of these um, uh, the headsets that they already had in place has gone up by 300%. So, so it's, it's the adoption factor of the stuff that might be weird and geeky. Again, necessity is the mother of invention. If this is the only way that I can actually have somebody help me here, well, by God, I'm going to use it. And so, so what we really are seeing is an acceleration here of adoption of these technologies. The only drawback, the only uh, moment, like, oh, I wish, oh, if I could have, like, crafted this myself, I would have changed it happening, like, I don't know, maybe a year later because we have a hardware limitation. Right. We have a hardware limitation for a lot of the new um, 
hardware. Uh, if you try to get an Oculus Quest right now, they're apparently like on what, six months back orders right now? Um, because so many people now they're at home, they're like, oh, I think I really want to try this. Well, <laughs> everybody's had that thought. Yeah, good luck getting a Nintendo Switch as well. The exactly. Thing- Switches are sold out. Quests are sold out. Um, yeah, so if only there was a greater distribution of hardware, that would that would be the thing that would make this moment perfect for the rise of digitization here. But to that point, we often come back to the William Gibson quote about how the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed. Mm, absolutely correct. Whether or not you can get yourself a... a Oculus Quest VR headsets on your Amazon.com or not. What about those bigger picture issues that not all of us have the type of technology that's necessary to take advantage of these virtual worlds, but we're going to start bringing the world along with us. Us geeks are going to drag everyone kicking and screaming into that 21st century. Take us three years out from now, five years out from now, once we have, for example, 5G wireless rolled out in a broader fashion, and we've also dealt with a lot of those technical limitations of virtual reality, augmented reality, and MR. I was just in a conference for AR, VR, and and, and MR, all that all the augmented all virtual the mixed reality, all the R's. So XR is actually the term for all of them. And and there was a really fascinating presentation in there from Niantic. Now, Niantic is the company that's doing Pokemon Go. And the thing about this location-based kind of thing, so, you know, how Pokemon Go works, you know, you're in your phone and you're walking around, you're actually out there in the world, and where you are, you know, you have to be in the spot for the, you know, Pokemon shows up here, and if you're, you know, a quarter of a mile that way, you're not going to see that Pokemon. And so in order to build that, they actually had to um, build kind of a, a software representation of the entire world. And and so they, you know, basically have this, this digital twin of the, um, well, for, for, first a basic map of the world um, so that they can actually trigger something to happen when you yourself are actually there. Um, well, where they're going now, and they are not the only ones, is actually mapping the world. So instead of just having a 2D map of the world, having a 3D map of the world, the digital twin idea, because having that basic understanding of the f- entire physical fabric of the surface of the planet, I mean, how big is that? Let's them then know exactly where you are and then create things that actually fit into that physical framework around you. And so this is really the beginning of what we're what's called the spatial internet. And the idea that where you are, you can get information and entertainment that that merges into the physical reality of the place around you. And that can be some, from something as simple as um, looking and, and, and you need an augmented reality is obviously the key that unlocks this. And so, so it'll be beginning looking through smartphones and then slowly over time, especially as 5G comes in, then moving to some kind of head mounted device, um, ultimately moving to the idea is just normal looking glasses. And so the kinds of experiences you could expect with this is, you know, you look at a restaurant and you can see the reviews of the restaurant just displayed um, in front of the restaurant, or it can be entertainment. You can uh, have the world around you painted to look like a Fortnite game, um, uh, or it can be transportation. You can have kind of the, the you know, you're standing at a bus stop and you can look at the bus stop and you can get a real-time report on when the buses are coming. So all this information that's in the internet actually moving out and moving into the real world and being made available to you at the location 
um, where that information uh, is. And this is really kind of the next big thing for the internet. So, so Niantic was saying that the basic work that needs to be done to create this spatial internet is actually that 3D mapping of as much of the external world as possible and also interior spaces too, but that's a whole nother challenge. Um, and then the actual um, uh, segmentation, so understanding this is a vertical wall and this is a horizontal floor and mapping them uh, 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 respectively. And then, okay, and then once you do that, then the labeling, okay, this is a house and that is a bench and that is a dog. And then being able to understand how they interact with each other. And then once you actually have this, this, this wise digital twin of the world, um, that's actually when you can start having those experiences that I was just talking about and creating the, the, the visual, seamless visual um, kinds of information that I was talking about. And Niantic was saying that they expect the work, that foundational work of understanding the external world to take about the next two years. So we're really looking at about 2022 for the foundation. And you can really think of this as the third internet. This is the web underneath the third level of the internet. And so another two years for that. And then once that's there, at the same time, we'll have, as you mentioned, the 5G networks developing, which actually helps the processing on the devices move into the network, which means the devices become smaller and lighter. And, and eventually we do have, you know, normal looking glasses. Um, now that's not going to be in 2022. That's probably going to be 2025 or later. Um, but, uh, but we really are moving towards um, a future where, and, and we will be able to see this starting in about two years, where we start moving away from smartphones and towards a much more integrated view of the world where, again, we have this merging of the digital world and information in it and entertainment and the real world around us taking place in devices that are smaller and lighter than the devices that we have now, um, ultimately moving to head-mounted devices. So that's, that's really the vision. And that is sort of like the early stages of the concept of the singularity where eventually we will just have all this hardware embedded in ourselves and it will become part of us. Yeah, that's that's a whole nother thing. Wow, and of right? course, there's tons of companies that are actually working on that. Yes, yes. And it all started with COVID-19. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And uh, HTC, for example, they actually, because, you know, all these R's that we're talking about, um, XR, VR, MR, AR, um, HTC has a really compelling vision. Of course, HTC makes the Vive um, uh, uh, VR headset. They actually see they're becoming a sliding scale. So, so it's not that VR and AR are separate. Because today they are. Um, AR, you can actually still see the real world around you, um, but VR is where the world is totally created and what you've got over your eyes completely blanks out the real world. HTC's vision, so to speak, is, um, is a video pass-through. So you're wearing something that does actually cover your eyes, but it's actually giving you video of the world around you. So you're still able to navigate within the real world. And so if you want to actually see everything as it is, great, you have full video pass-through. If you want to start incorporating some digitization aspects of it, okay, then fine. It's easier to actually integrate that with a digital feed of the video rather than having something that you're overlaying onto a true, true clear glass view of the real world. And if you want to switch to full VR, 
great, go for it. So having this concept of pass-through video enabling a sliding scale of seeing the real world to seeing some digitization to seeing full digitization, I think that's a really important concept that we're going to be seeing coming up as well. I think if I learn nothing more than this one point, it's that at least now I've got something to talk to my kid about, about Crossy. you talk to your kid about all this today, it might be stuff they haven't heard about. But if you wait until tomorrow, they'll be telling you about it. That's kind of the interesting thing about all of this is that we are seeing a generation, um, and I'm broadly generalizing here, of boomers and Gen Xers who previously never leveraged this type of technology that millennials and Gen Z are currently doing. It's, it, it's the kids bringing mom and dad along with them into the future. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, my, my kids have weathered the lockdown very well. You know, they do their school in the morning and then they, uh, they, they just start gaming right after that. And, uh, you know, they haven't really noticed that they can't leave the house because uh, they're just loving being able to spend all their time online with their friends in their games. You know, so my, my kids already had their main social interactions with their friends in the games. And so it's just the rest of us that are now catching up. What's your take on peak Zoom? I got to tell you, a lot of these calls don't need video. And a lot of these calls don't need audio either. They could have been emails. (laughs) Oh, you know, I have to say I love Zoom. Now, you and I are actually speaking to each other right now in Zoom. And to be honest, I haven't turned on the camera because it's early in the morning and I'm in my gym clothes. <laughs> so, so this is, this is uh, one of the uh, fun things about Zoom is uh, having to like brush your hair before answering the phone kind of thing. This is what we were promised during the jet age is that everybody would be doing video call conferences. But this comes back to the idea of predicting the future back in the 50s when they thought that we would be doing these types of things. At the end of the day, it all turns out we really don't want to see each other. Well, you know, actually, we do. We do, because the call immediately before this was a group of people, and these were all people that I don't know. I've never met them in person. And, And it was so helpful to be able to see the faces, and particularly the dynamics of a group conversation. If you can see the faces, then you know who has something to say and who's, you know, who, who, who wants to be able to speak next. And you can see who's maybe dissatisfied with the way the conversation is going. Or, or you know, it, all of these dynamics that actually get missed when there's nothing but silence coming from some of the people that are on there. So I think being able to see the, um, the faces is actually extremely important. And when I give presentations online, the, 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 especially to, to my customers, it's really hard to not be able to see the audience and to know what the feeling in the room is as you're speaking the words. Um, and so, so I really appreciate the face thing. However, the really important point, and this comes back to all the technologies that I'm take, talking about, you have to give the end user control. Because, you know, if I'm in my gym clothes, no, you don't get to see me. I have to be able to control that. And we need to be able to take that end user control paradigm all the way through all of these other, you know, exciting, but also frightening new technologies that I'm talking about. Because without that, if we don't have end user control and the things that go with it, the privacy, the security, the basic fundamental respect for people as human beings, then we actually have a problem. See the future. Listen to what's next. Read about world-changing ideas. All by visiting futurismic.com. The Futurismic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth is a Nokia original series.